It's the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. It's basketball time at the Cube. LeBron left to the circle, left to the lane. Gonna go all the way and hammer it all the way. Everybody, I mean everybody, on their feet. Sends it for three. We wanted a different approach. The shoot around. Welcome back, everybody. It's been a brutal week, but we're excited to be back talking Cavs basketball. If you listen to episode two, we kind of expected this, so let's start talking about this past week. At the start of the episode, the Cavs are a lowly 10-18 and 18 after a heartbreaking loss on Valentine's Day, falling to the LA Clippers for the second time in the last few weeks, 111-128. It was a missed opportunity with LA not playing Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Garland and Sexton both had 20 points apiece, and Jared Allen got his fourth start of the season, putting up 15 points and grabbing 10 boards. He continues to average a double-double since joining the team. Jetty also had 20 points, going 3-for-7 from deep. However, no one else on the bench scored in double digits. Prince and Dotson combined were 0-for-11 from the field, and we only lost by 17 points. Overall, the Cavs' defense let them down. The crafty Lou Williams put up 30 against the Cavs, Serge Ibaka and Patrick Beverly poured in another 21 and 16 points respectively, and Marcus Morris added another 23 off the bench, killing us from downtown. Speaking of that, the Clippers shot 43% from three and always had a counterpunch to the Cavs. What are your thoughts on the game? I was excited to see Allen start. I just like his style of play. I like how he works with the team. He's looking for the point guard so often when he has the ball, and he's just very intimidating on the defensive side. I just wish that they would do more with shooting threes and attempting them. A lot of times they are shooting threes at the top of the arc. I don't know if you've noticed this or seen this. But they will shoot more at the top of the arc. And then when they get the ball in the corner three, like I love a Coro, but he always does the pump fake and then drives. And it's like, you're ready for a corner three. That's statistically the easiest three. And it's not just him. I think Stevens did that a few times in this game as well, where you're just like, you got that corner three, use it. Look, this team is really good. They're they're the Clippers. They're third in the Western Conference. They've won 20 games. They're going to play really well. The Clippers have a lot of veteran experience. Like they kind of remind me a little bit of um some of the old Cavs teams, but those old Cavs teams rarely won without LeBron. <laughs> yeah. It only took the greatest basketball player of all time, at least in a Cavs jersey. That, that's all. It only took him. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess I would say that it was a little bit of a baffling game for me. Yeah, it was more of the same. I, I feel the first game that we played against them, I think we actually matched up a little better. Mm-hmm. The score is similar, but just looking at the stat lines, we gave up 32 in the first quarter, 38 in the second and 36 in the third. It was really only the fourth quarter that we held them to 22 and kind of kept the game quote unquote close. <laughs> so... It's always pleasing to see Allen, Sexton, Garland, and Osmond all get into double figures, break the, the double figures with, with their points. 
you know, especially on a night. Typically, when Colin gets more than 20 points, uh, we have at least 25 assists or more. We've, we've been winning those games. Mm-hmm. This game was not that. We had 25 assists, but they had 31. What I've been seeing consistently leading into this game is that we're we're slow to start and we're really slow to end. First and fourth quarters are our weakest for scoring. Looking at the team stats, we shot 93 times to their 88. So we actually got five more shots at the rim. We made seven out of 25 three-point attempts. 25 is what I'd like to see us take. But shooting 28% as a team, we're not going to get out of the basement in the league with that kind of percentage. When Garland made his first two threes, there was definitely a momentum shift. And then defensively, they broke down and the Clippers just had a counterpunch where Lou Williams was able to get a basket. The Clippers didn't let up. But you see what the three does, right? The three puts fear in in your opponent. Jetty made three out of seven threes. Most nights, honestly, when he scores 20 points and does that, when Sexton scores what he did and Garland scored what he did, I'm going to expect a W. Um, But we Mm -hmm. did play the Clippers, and they have a lot of firepower overall. Just because they're missing two of their stars, they can get the points from elsewhere, and that's evident from the final score of the night. Yes, our defense continues to let us down. I don't know what the remedy is for that right now. Watching these games, some of it, I think, is just that we're out of position because we're always pushing the ball up the court with these quick transition layups that we're missing. Mm -hmm. And then they're going down on the other end and getting easy buckets after the fact. We're still having a problem finishing underneath. And we're also having a hard time deciding kind of what our flow of offense needs to be in any given moment. We're kind of just trying to ram it down every opponent's throat. And I think we're tiring ourselves out as a consequence. Sexton, Garland, Okoro, they all have one thing massively in common this season that I'm seeing. It's that they're not confident with their open shots. They're just hesitating too long for the defense to close in. I want to see them put that ball up. No more hesitation. If you're open behind the arc, take that shot especially those three. Those guys should be more efficient behind the line. And Okoro, I understand coming in, he was not supposed to have this offensive side of his game yet. But I would want to know, what is he practicing on the off days? How is he developing his shot? Because I've watched a guy come into the league kind of lose confidence in these last five to 10 games. I saw a guy that if you hit him for a corner three, he'd have a 50-50 shot of making it. But lately, I'm watching a guy airball it, either push it too far or or not put enough under it. You can just tell his confidence has totally been shaken. He's just not getting the results that he was getting out on the court from before. I see a guy on the court that often is the least selfish guy on the team, Mm. always looking for somebody else, knowing his place. You know, he's the rookie and he's got to find his way. You know, he's found his way into the starting rotation, but he has to find his way now into the offense. And that makes perfect sense. But some of these nights, we could really have used him scoring 15 to 20. And if he mm-hmm. had just taken you know, some, of, some of those open shots more, and if he was more confident in those shots, you know, they would have been falling for him. Sexton also, I think this is a damning kind of part for him. He was almost averaging 25 a night there at the start of the season. I think he could be averaging close to 30 a night if he could just find a more comfortable place for the three-pointer to be in his game. He's not taking enough and then therefore making enough in these contests. And if he's going to be that main guy, I mean, we know that from LeBron. That was an early on criticism that we had, that he had to find an outside shot to truly be as lethal as he could could and wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And look at him today. God, he takes a three, and you, you really expect it's going to go in. Yeah. And... 
that's a night and day difference, right? That's what I want for Sexton. I want him to work on his three-pointer so that by this time next year or whatever, he, he can be considered more of somebody to take seriously from behind the arc. But the game today, like that's one of the things that makes a Steph Curry so successful. And yeah. Sexton, he's undersized at his position, especially if he's going to play more of the two guard. He's got to find that extra space on the court by expanding his his range. The snow was coming down heavily in Portland, which would make you think that the Cavs were getting somewhat of a home court advantage. But that was not the case on February 12th. The Blazers jumped out to an early 10-point lead in the first few minutes and never looked back. The final score was 110-129. to Drummond left the first quarter early with foul trouble and Allen continued his solid play, finishing the game with 22 points. He really was a much-needed spark as Sexton and Garland ended up with 25 and 17 points respectively. The Blazers had four players with at least 20 points. Gary Trent had 26, Cantor with 21, Lillard added 20, and Mello added another 23 off the bench. The Cavs played with a little more energy in the second half, but ultimately this was another frustrating loss. What are your biggest takeaways slash concerns? My biggest takeaway was that Andre Drummond played his way off the team. I think that was the game that the Cavs made the decision, at least and maybe I'm just projecting because I know it was the game that I made the decision. <laughs> I think the Cavs know that it's time for Allen to come off the bench and take that starting role. They don't need to wait. He's young. He's athletic. He doesn't need to be managed in his minutes as much. And, you know, they have McGee on the bench as well. So if they can get rid of Drummond, possibly Love as well, they have these pieces now that they can move because they've kind of overstacked in certain areas of their team. Mm -hmm. And now it's time to make decisions of how best to reallocate those pieces. Now, I think we've seen over the last week and a half, two weeks, that the Cavs have certain kind of fatal flaws that they're mm -hmm. not going to get over without trading their way out of it or drafting their way out of it. And of course, this season, drafting isn't going to help us. And I'm hoping that we won't be picking in the top 10 again, uh, even though it can be fun. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but this season I was I was expecting that we could creep our way into the seventh or eighth seed, and it's these kinds of games that at least if there's anything I took away from it, it's that the young core is our future, and we just need to start getting on with it. You know, getting those guys out there, figuring out how to play best with each other. Yeah, and then rebuilding whatever that second and third string is supposed to look like. Because we're, I was happy to see Sexton get 25. Uh, I want him getting that most nights. Yeah. But 41 minutes is a lot of time on the court. I've been a little perplexed lately by his minutes. I don't know if some nights he's maybe feeling his ankle injury from before, and so they're playing him more sparingly. Mm -hmm. um, but then other nights, like the night against Portland, he was out there for almost the whole game. Just something that, that makes me wonder when I'm looking at the stat line. Everybody else managed their minutes about, you know, between 25, 30 minutes for the night, but he went 41. But overall, a game like this, it was just rough. You know, they gave up 39 points in the second quarter. It was admittedly hard to watch after that. Mm -hmm. They've learned some tough lessons on this road trip. That's for sure. So what did you take away from this dumpster fire? I totally agree with you about Drummond. And there were reports that came out that he was sitting off to the side away from the team. Uh, you know, just stuff that you don't want to hear about from a veteran. You know, the guy is making a lot of money. I know that he's human and, and losing sucks, but you're on a team and these young guys see you as a leader. So it was awesome to see Allen really step up. That was a cool little positive. He's a fun player to watch. 
agree with you with Sexton. I do think that they kept him on the floor a little bit longer. One thing I really kind of liked with him, there is something about him that's really fun with how he steps up to defending players. I know that he's not the greatest defender, but he really was in Lillard's grill for a while. He was irritating Lillard. Lillard only had 20 points, and everybody else on Portland had a career night. But Lillard, 20 points for Lillard, that's fairly pedestrian. I think people overlook Sexton's defense for sure. Yeah, and and I think just the attitude on defense alone is something that you need, and I think... He is somewhat undersized, but if he didn't have that attitude, I think we would be a little bit more weary of how he would show up on D. Just to put a, a small button on the additional thoughts on this game, I just thought that this was a game that is symptomatic of how this road trip has gone, where this team just pounced on the Cavs right away and just punched him right in the mouth, and the Cavs were never able to recover. And it was so frustrating because their lack of shooting from the three, they can't come back from a 15-point deficit in a quarter with somebody coming off the bench hitting five or six shots in a row. That's just not where they're at right now. They need to come out with an energy level that is superhuman. When they don't come out with that energy level and get punched in the mouth like that, that quickly, they're going to have difficulty making up those points in the game. Against Denver on February 10th, the Cavs played horribly. They looked lethargic, playing like a high school junior varsity team, wandering onto the NBA court. The final score was 133-95. to They started Allen and Drummond together, which meant Drummond matched up with Paul Millsap for the night. Yeah, that didn't go well. Drummond looked lost and disinterested to be there. And to make matters worse, the Cavs didn't make a three until about five minutes left in the first half. They had missed 11 attempts prior. Garland was in early foul trouble and Sexton finished with four points, by far his worst game as Cavalier. If there was a bright spot, it was the play of Allen and Prince. Both battled and ended up with double-digit points, Allen averaging that sweet-as-can-be double-double with 18 and 10 for the evening. So, after that miserable performance, what else can we say about it? Denver is a good team. Nikola Jokic is ridiculous. He's at this level, he's playing like a Hall of Famer right now. The rest of the team is solid. They're not players I feel like you would be scared of every night, and they just took over. There were people up and down the bench contributing. They even had bull bull play. He played for five minutes, and he's averaging 1.4 points a game this season. Denver was in full reserve mode. I was surprised that Bickerstaff left even some of the starters in for longer, and it was just a mess. It was a complete, utter mess. It was a brutal, brutal road trip. That's why I use the word. Yeah. We've been uh, we've been smacked down thoroughly, and I think whatever uh, positives we we gleaned from our play against the Nets or how we faced up against LA, hopefully this team now has has had some humility knocked back into them, and they're going to come mm-hmm. come home from the road trip learning a few things. I know Okoro he really doesn't deal with losing very well. If you're just getting blown out, if the games aren't even close or or competitive, and I imagine that's partially why he looks like he's a little shaken up out there on the court. 
airport. Mm-hmm. This road trip has been a real eye-opener for what deficiencies the Cavs still have to address. Obviously, if they had Love out there and uh, and Drummond were consistent uh, to what he was at the beginning of the season, who knows what these games would have gone like. But you play with who you have and, and where you're at. And unfortunately, the Cavs right now, due to the injuries and then the trade and and everything, they're at a very weird crossroads where they just need to kind of figure out what personnel they're keeping and how they're all going to gel together and continue to play together moving forward. This team shot 21% from three against Denver. They attempted 37 shots from three and only made eight of them. So they shot 21% from three. That, in a nutshell, explains a lot of how this team performed offensively against Denver. The Cavs started off their West Coast road trip on February 8th with a tough loss against the Phoenix Suns. Even though the Suns didn't have future Hall of Fame point guard Chris Paul, they still have Devin Booker, who put up 36 points on the Cavs on 14 of 27 shots, including five three-pointers. The Cavs, who started Allen and Drummond together for the first time this season, were able to stay competitive and actually led going into the fourth quarter. Sexton led the Cavs with 23, while Garland added 17 points. In the waning minutes, Sexton drove to the basket and made what the team thought was a go-ahead bucket, but it turned out that he was called for an offensive foul. Ultimately, this was a frustrating game that will help the Cavs develop and hopefully help them close out games more consistently in the future. What is your takeaway from the game? Coming in, I had an expectation that we could win this game, especially hearing that Chris Paul would be out. You know, the minute I heard that he would be resting for the game, I I thought that gave us a chance. But consistently this season, it seems we we give up about 30, 34 points in the first quarter. We start the game in the hole and we're kind of scrapping back from there. And uh, as we have been showing with most games in the last few weeks, uh, we've got no gas left in the tank by the fourth quarter. We just cannot put the ball through the basket. It was tough to see Booker go off for uh, 36. He came out and, and took advantage of the, of the fact that Chris Paul wasn't in there and it was just his his opportunity to shine that night. Something happened to the Cavs defensively in the last few weeks. We need to get our, our confidence back. We're allowing 120, 130 points a game lately uh, most nights, and this was not that. But on a night when you score 113, it's, it's tough that you gave up more than that. These nights of teams scoring 130, 140, they still lose. You know, that's my yeah. memory of the Suns in the early 2000s, and they were about the only team that ever did that. And now it's a lot of teams in the NBA. So unfortunately, it, it snuck away from us towards the end there. It was nice to see as many of, of the main core kind of get their points, get their stats for the night. That was probably the last great game uh, that Drummond will have for us in a Cavs uniform. Garland and Sexton, they continue to average their point totals for the season. I think if they do that, the core of those guys, plus Allen coming in and doing the double-double every night, we've got a solid core, young core, and now we need to figure out how to build a veteran presence around that and, and, and start winning games again. They had a lot of things that went well for them. They were relying on Sexland to kind of drive the closing minutes of the game. They had a couple empty possessions to close out the game that were just a little frustrating. It's one of those losses that I feel like you actually learn more from. And kind of reviewing it in my head again, Prince was really great off the bench. 
nobody else really off the bench helped support that additional great play. I think that's another thing that we're going to have to kind of keep track of is I know that Nance is injured. I know that Love is out, but that's something to kind of look at is their bench sometimes adds some good stability when it comes in to, to deal with some of these losses or these these games where they are down a lot in the first quarter. But offensively, they kind of struggle to kind of connect and only one or two of the guys really steps up off the bench. It would just be great to kind of get some of their averages up or their production with Prince and Jetty. Both of them, I feel, could average 15, 12 to 15 a night. And that would just do so much for this team. They both are, have the capability. Prince and Jetty have both started this season. I look at Windler as a guy who should be, he should be hitting threes and he should average nine to 12 points as well at 45%. That's what you were drafted for. If you can hit that mark, then there's just so much less pressure on everybody else. I thought this was an encouraging way to start the West road trip. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for a lot of the games after, but they showed up against a, a Western Conference team that has an elite scorer in Booker, and they were able to keep pace and to possibly pull off a win in those last few minutes. Let's go to the tape. A topic that we have been a little slow to discuss is Kevin Porter Jr. When we first began recording, it had been announced that the team would be looking for a trading partner, and they may even release him. Rumors circulated that Porter Jr. had blown up about the team moving his locker, and GM Kobe Altman got involved. Even Shaq and the TNT crew chimed in. Many around the league saw this as a disrespect by the team. A little history for those not familiar with his past as a Cavalier. Porter Jr. was selected 30th by the Cavs in the 2019 draft. The Cavs were extremely excited about the selection and were really high on his upside. They considered his talent to be as good as any of the lottery selections that year. A lot of the executives were hesitant to take him, though, because while he played for USC, his only year of college ball, he was suspended indefinitely by the team for personal conduct issues. Kevin Porter Jr. came from a tough situation. He was born in Seattle, Washington, coming from an athletic family where his father played football, basketball, and baseball in high school. Tragically, though, in July 2004, when Kevin Jr. was four years old, his father was shot five times and killed while trying to help someone being attacked. As a result, he was raised by his mother, who became his role model. Porter Jr. played sports to both pay homage to his late father and to cope from his absence. Porter Jr. averaged 10 points, 3 rebounds, and 2 assists for his only season with the Cavs. His highlight game came against the Miami Heat on February 25th of 2020. He recorded a career high of 30 points, adding 3 assists, 8 rebounds, and 3 steals in an awesome 125-119 overtime victory. When Bickerstaff took over as head coach last season, he felt Porter was one of, if not the, team's best passer, and used him as a point forward at times. After the season, things didn't go well. As Chris Fedor of Cleveland.com reported in August of 2020, Kevin Porter Jr. was accused of punching a woman in the face. In October, Porter Jr. posted a black square on his Instagram with the message, Do you ever wish to see the end of your time? That incident led to the Cavs officials and teammates reaching out to him, making sure he was okay and offering to help. He was involved in a one-car accident the following month in November, where he was arrested and charged with improper handling of a firearm in a motor vehicle, failure to control the vehicle, and misdemeanor possession of marijuana. All of those charges were dismissed. 
Following these charges, KPJ was held back from the media and was not with the team while they scrimmaged outside of the NBA playoff bubble. Bickerstaff and Altman said they had a plan for Porter Jr. and they had been in constant communication with him during the start of the season. He didn't rejoin the team until January 15th. As we said, on January 15th of this year, Porter Jr. got into an argument over the placement of his locker. This was the first time he was back at the facility this season and became upset when discovering his locker had been moved, being replaced by newly acquired small forward Torian Prince. Porter Jr. began yelling at general manager Kobe Altman, apparently throwing things. Bickerstaff, who tried to calm the situation, was described by some reports as saying that he was shocked and disgusted by Porter Jr.'s comments. The Cavs traded Porter Jr. six days later to the Houston Rockets for a salary dump. He has yet to play a game since the trade, playing a few games in the G League. Well, Colin, I know you were really excited about Kevin Porter Jr. You thought he was just as much the future of this team as Sexton or Garland or now Allen. How do you even want to begin with this topic? Well, I think this is definitely a difficult topic. This is the first time we've ever done a podcast, and we also understood the the Kevin Porter Jr. incident, move, whatever you want to call it, is something that needed to be highlighted and talked about. I thought Kevin Porter Jr. had the highest upside on this team at the end of last season. It is a difficult situation that he's gone through in the offseason. It's really unfortunate, and I hope that he's doing well. I hope that he progresses well as a human, (laughs) and if he progresses well as a basketball player, cool. I think that what he showed the team, it was one of the first times watching him play breaking down players, shooting that awesome left-handed shot that he has. Porter Jr. was a guy who could make other teams a little worried or scared as to where he was going to end up on the floor, what he was going to do, what his decisions were going to be. So I think that he was just kind of a spark plug and really surprised a lot of players and a lot of teams. His style of play is something that I will miss. As we mentioned with our explanation there of of what transpired with Kevin. Chris Fedor of Cleveland.com, I think he, at the start of his article, I think he says it best, which is it's a disappointing end to a promising and equally turbulent tenure in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. He was an exciting player from the jump. He had a real feeling that they may have gotten a steal simply because he had a, a little bit of a troubled past coming in and sometimes mm-hmm. you can you can get away with something in the draft uh, going after a guy like that yeah giving him his first opportunity often though especially in a place like Cleveland it just never seems to work out <laughs> as any Clevelander would know with the Browns Josh Gordon these players they come in with a checkered past and it's difficult sometimes to stay sober or stay out of trouble my biggest concern with a person like Kevin Porter Jr. obviously is just his future as a human being. And I hope that he yeah. continues to get the help that he needs and focuses on what's important. I, what's dangerous about having the kind of talent that he does have coming into a league like the NBA is that there's a lot of opportunity for him to make money and, and then therefore kind of stupid decisions may follow. Mm-hmm. And we often forget that now that these guys are only doing one year in college, if that, they're coming in more and more kids. We knew that when LeBron joined this league, we were his age when he joined. And I think that was my first kind of eye-opening moment of going, oh yeah, uh-huh. kids join these leagues and get paid millions of dollars from 
one night to the next. And then with that, also just the responsibility of being somewhat of a public figure within the community mm-hmm. that they live in. And then the responsibility that comes from uh, being a, a centerpiece of a team like the Cavaliers. And uh, hopefully he'll just be able to mature fast enough that he can make smarter decisions both on and off the court for the rest of his career. It's painful, it sounds like, from the Cavs' perspective that this didn't work out. Yeah, And from a fan perspective, I both want to see him succeed, but I also know it's going to be bittersweet when he does. Um, oh, yeah. Because I wanted to see him remain a Cavalier when that success came. As a Cavs fan, we've seen a few guys leave. Uh, Joe Harris is doing pretty well. For I mean, these are players that have left for other reasons, but Danny Green, you know, just won three NBA championships and was a sharpshooter and could have possibly been on the team when LeBron was here for the second time. Even Kyrie Irving. Yeah. Number one pick in the draft can easily score 40, 50 a night. He's one of the the biggest talents in the league. And because we had to dance with the devil and compromise to get that championship ring that we all wanted, we brought back a superstar that then crowded out the room and forced that superstar out the door. So yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's tough to watch these guys be brought in and then kind of watch their peak happen somewhere else. Even LeBron went down to Miami and, and started to, to hit his prime in another uniform. Yeah, and I think I'll just say for the 40th time, like, I want Kevin Porter Jr. to just be okay in whatever happens and, and how he ends up. I do see that the Cavs kind of miss that style of play right now, where I think Sexton and Garland are doing some good things with trying to break down the defense, but Porter Jr. was able to work in some tight situations where he was just able to be a little bit more successful. I think Porter Jr.'s length and his athleticism overall, I think they were hoping that they would be able to bring him along defensively over the next couple of seasons and that he would remain this kind of like offensive presence that they could also rely on. And he, yeah. he'd he be a starter, you know, this season. Yeah. I really believe he would have started. And Okoro now is, you know, what they were hoping they could bring him along to be on defense. The real mm-hmm. question will be, can Okoro ever achieve the upside on offensively as what KPJ clearly could offer you. So, uh, and and probably not, to be honest with you. I think KPJ still has a chance to have an upside to this and to have a, a fine career elsewhere. The Cavs, I think, will always be the ones that missed out the most from this, at least from a basketball perspective, especially assuming that he can get things together and that it will be all right in the end for him. You brought up Josh Gordon. I've seen many other situations where players have issues with getting along with their teammates and whatnot. I thought the Cavs did a solid job in this situation where they were trying to kind of keep his head on straight. They were trying to interact with him. They were aware of certain things. Personally, as a fan, I don't fault the Cavs. But I do think that the situation, just like what you referenced earlier, is bittersweet because of it coming to a head. We brought up the whole moving. Well, in our year of COVID, a lot of people's lockers had moved because of state protocols and health factors. So I think that it just was an added wrinkle of like, well, yeah, everybody's locker has kind of moved because we can't be right next to each other. It's a bittersweet situation like what you said, and, and I think that if he has success, he's he's definitely shown flashes with the Cavs in the one season as to why he would have that. And ultimately, I just hope he's, I hope that he's just doing okay.
the final seconds. To close the podcast for this week, we have just a few more Cavs-related topics to highlight before signing off. As of this recording, they're facing Steph Curry and the Warriors, who are coming in barely above 500. However, they have Curry. (laughs) So we had a feeling it would be a long night. As of right now, he's shooting the lights out, looking like he'll have at least 40 by the end of the game. After tonight, we'll play four straight at home, beginning with an extremely well-coached, veteran-led Spurs team, followed by the Oklahoma City Thunder, led by the talented guard and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. This will be a welcome return home, and hopefully they'll be able to get on the same page, working on some much-needed chemistry. What are you expecting from the Cavs this coming week? I'm very happy that the Cavs are going back home. This West Coast road trip did not go as planned. And I'm hoping that they're able to show up against the Thunder. They have some good young talent, but they should definitely get a win. The Spurs are, you know, Popovich is a Hall of Fame coach, and he can organize anything or anyone into an effective, (laughs) well-oiled machine. I think that that'll be a tougher matchup. Hopefully, because they'll be at home, they'll be able to gel and have a good showing against San Antonio. You and I both know that the Cavs have traditionally fought for every call, whether on the road or at home. What have we observed that's made this issue more relevant of late? In the third quarter of the Portland game, I noticed a few plays that stood out. Lillard barked at a ref and then also touched that same ref. That's an automatic technical foul in most arenas and an ejection. Enos Cantor had multiple moving screens at the four-minute mark in the third quarter. The Cavs need to realize this is an issue when they're playing away. For the most part, the Cavs are a young squad that doesn't have the minutes in the league to be getting the calls they're hoping for. Well, from a fan's perspective, I would say stop looking for calls that they're not going to give you. It's pretty clear early on what they're not going to give you because they're not giving it to you. They keep taking it in transition and, and going hard to the basket. They're just not getting those calls. They're missing those layups, and they're they're causing issues then getting back on the other side, like we've mentioned before. So when it's not working, when something is not working in the NBA, stop doing it. That's not working. Stop it. Take a timeout. Gather your thoughts about what you need to do differently. I just don't see a Cavaliers team that is taking what they're being given. They're going out there and demanding every night to get more, and that's not the way this league works works, especially because, as you stated, they haven't put the minutes in on the court collectively as a team. They're a very young team. We've known this. You do not get calls in this league when you don't have the respect of the league yet. I think Sexton has done an unbelievable job over the years of building his strength up and being able to take these guys more underneath and and really pound his way into the basket. But if he's going out and not getting those calls to start the game, you've got to move somewhere else. You've got to try something else and then go back to it later. See if they'll give you the call later in the game. With the Cavs coming home from the brutal road trip out West, it seems like the winds are whispering of Kevin Love's return. Odds are, they'll keep him out until Sunday, but we should know more as they get back into practice this week. What are our thoughts about Love's return to the lineup? Should we even be playing him, or should he be sitting like Drummond until we find a trade partner? As of right now, I would say that we should play Love. There was an interview with Zach Lowe on Zach Lowe's podcast where he interviewed Colin Sexton, and Sexton referenced a story during one of the Nets games where Love helped Sexton kind of with some of his choices on the floor. Kevin Love has a lot of playoff experience. He has a lot of playing experience, and I think that that's needed. And I think that he has the ability to at least raise the bar and production of this team from the 
power forward position, even a small level of just spreading the floor a little bit because we know he can shoot that outside shot. From a purely selfish perspective, I would just love to see him play <laughs> with Allen and Okoro on the floor where Love's Achilles heel has been his defense. But if you have two guys around him that hopefully help with some of that, it might unlock some issues that the Cavs have. We have Allen now, and the team clearly has made the decision to move forward with him. I think there's still space for Love. Larry Nance responded to a fan last week who suggested on Twitter that he desires to retire as a Cavalier, posting a gif of Dwight from the office saying, it's true, in response to fan Zach tweeting the big man's desire to remain a Cavalier. How refreshing was this kind of honesty? I was ecstatic. It's not that Larry Nance is a LeBron James or some type of amazing top 10, top five talent in the league. But what he brings a team like the Cavaliers is that heart, that determination, that basketball IQ, that team guy that you need, but also a fan guy, uh, somebody that is for the fans. We all know that's why Matthew Della Vadova was brought back. He's a good basketball player. He has every reason to be in the NBA. But what makes him unique to the Cavaliers is the love that the fans have for him. Somebody like Larry Nance Jr., he comes in with the pedigree of his family name. The fact that we love his dad and we love that history of the Cavaliers. And he does too. He has a ton of respect for that history and he loves Cleveland. You need guys like this because in an ever-increasing NBA of no loyalty on either side, whether it's franchise or player, it's very hard to keep guys like this. And again, just from a fan's perspective, I think you need them to kind of keep that excitement and to keep that cohesiveness from season to season where you go, well, some of the glue players are still there and, and we can still kind of count on that familiarity. It's wonderful to hear that a guy wants to stay in a place like this. Time and time again, we were told only because LeBron grew up in Akron that he would ever have played for the Cavaliers. And that's probably true because the media likes to remind everybody that Cleveland's a pretty rough town to live in. Our weather is not always great. Guys like Larry Nance Jr., they truly enforce the qualities that matter and the things that make Cleveland great. And they remind role players like him around the league that Cleveland you know, has a place for them, that it can be a very unique town and a great organization to play for if you embrace it the way that Larry Nance Jr. is. It's that time again. We're done with episode three. We'll be back for episode four next week. We've had a lot of fun making this, and we hope you're having fun listening. Catch you for episode four. Thank you for listening to the Cavaliers Basketball Club podcast. Let's go Cavs!